William Carey was the father of what is known as modern missions. He lived from the year 1761 to the year 1834. When William Carey decided to go to India as a missionary, his wife refused to go. She had three children and was pregnant with their fourth. He resolved to go even if he had to leave her and the children behind. Shortly after the birth of her fourth child, she gave in and accompanied him to India. What followed was a nightmare for her. It started when they arrived in Calcutta, where their inadequate funds were quickly depleted. And it forced the family to actually live in a rundown place outside of Calcutta. Even worse, the other missionaries lived in relative affluence in that area in India. His wife complained because they had to live without many of the necessities, such as bread and other things that we would take for granted today. Dorothy was also afflicted with dysentery, and their oldest son almost died from it. Later on, Carrie moved his wife, infant, and three sons under 10 into an untamed malarial-infested region where alligators, tigers, and huge poisonous snakes were in abundance. They moved soon after to another city where Dorothy again became ill. But far worse, their five-year-old son, Peter, died. After this devastating loss, Dorothy Carey's Dorothy carries mental health declined. She never recovered, but deteriorated to such an extent that she was described as wholly deranged. William Carey believed the cause of Christ took precedence over his family. You know, as we're going through this series on marriage, marriage in the 21st century, sometimes the Bible is very good about reprioritizing our lives. And I believe that as we look at the marriages in our church and even across the landscape of our country, there are many folks who are married who have the wrong priorities. Their husband or their wife is not number one. They have everything else that's playing out in their lives, and their husband and their wife are suffering. See, God did not intend for marriage to be one of those relationships where it's to be taken, you know, just kind of in, in a way that's not serious. He intended for marriage to be the most important human relationship that we have. And when you look at people like William Carey and you look at the what he was willing to do to achieve his ministry goals, he was even willing to put his wife on the back burner. He was willing to endanger his children in a way that was just unseemly. It almost hurts your heart to see that he really did not regard his family as he should. He did it all in the name of Christ and all in the name of ministry, but in reality, God never intended for us to put ministry or our careers or anything else before our spouses. Only God wants to be placed before any other human being, but when it comes to that human relationship, there is nothing more important than marriage. William Carey certainly failed in his ministry to his family, and today I want to encourage you not to make the same mistakes that William Carey did. Today, the title of the sermon is A Mirror Image. And again, I said we're in our series, Marriage in the 21st Century. And we're going to find our scripture in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. So if you will, go ahead and turn there. For the reading of the introduction, though, we're only going to read verses 31 through 33. So if you will, go ahead and turn there with me, and then we'll read those few verses. Beginning in verse 31, we'll go through verse 33. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. 
This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Let's pray. God, thank you for marriage. Thank you, Lord, that in your word you teach us how to have a godly marriage. And today, Lord, as we look at this mirror image, as we look at marriage and trying to make it like what your relationship is with the church, I pray, God, that you would reveal some things to us in our hearts. Lord, that you would help us to be more selfless in our marriages. And Lord, that in everything we do, that we would love our spouses as Jesus loves the church and gave himself for it. We lift all these things up to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we think about a mirror, a mirror is a funny thing because mirrors don't lie. You know, I don't know if you're like me, but there's been times where I've been maybe speaking to a group of people or preaching or something like that, and I just feel like maybe there's something on my face. Maybe there's something in my nose or maybe there's something in my teeth, and I just wish so bad that I could pause everything, just freeze time, pick up a mirror and check myself out and then put the mirror down and then play the scene again to, 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 to just make sure that nothing's going on. And you may ask, well, why do we do that, Ben? Why do we take so much confidence and stock in what a mirror says about us? It's because mirrors show reality. Mirrors reveal what's actually there, what's actually happening. So when we think about this relationship between a man and his wife, and we think about how that is to be a mirror image of the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church, we need to begin to ask ourselves, how do our marriages match? How do our marriages line up? When we look into the mirror of his relationship with the church, does our marriage reflect his relationship? So that's going to be the question that I want us to answer today. And as we go through this passage, there's going to be three things involved in biblical marriage that is going to help us to achieve and to be that image that God has laid out for us to be. So the first thing that I want us to look at is submission. That's one of those things that are essential in the marriage in order for the marriage to reflect Christ and his bride, the church. So in verses 22 through 24 of Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible says this, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. See, here Christ is calling us to a very difficult task, submission. He refers to wives here in this particular text, and he's calling women who are married to submit to their husbands. But you know what's great about our Savior? He never asks us to do anything that he isn't willing to do first. In John chapter 4, verse 34, we see that the Lord Jesus himself submitted to the Father while he was on earth. The Bible says this, coming from the mouth of Jesus, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. See, Jesus was submissive. When he came and he walked this earth for 33 years, he submitted to the will of the Father by dying on a cross. And even to the extent Jesus submitted to taking on my sin and your sin. But you know what was beautiful about Jesus' submission? It was willing. 
See, submission is not something that can be forced. Submission is not something that has to be pressured on someone or forced on someone to do. Submission is by someone making the decision, the coherent decision to say, I will submit to this authority. I will submit to this leadership. And here in Ephesians chapter 5, this is what Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus. He's encouraging wives to submit to their husbands. Now you may say, well, Ben, why aren't husbands being asked to submit to their wives? Well, you will find in Scripture that the Bible does teach a general submission to all people, that we are all to submit to one another in love. In other words, that we are to put the cares, the desires, the wants, and the needs of others before our own. So yes, in a way, husbands are to submit to their wife's needs. They are to submit to their wife's cares and their wife's feelings. However, in the marriage role, there is a particular role for a man and a particular role for a woman. And here we see that really rising to the surface in Ephesians chapter 5. As Bible-believing Baptists and Christians, we believe in what is known as the complementarian view of men and women. And what that is, is that both men and women are 100% equal in value. They're equal in essence. They are both 100% made in the image of God, and there is none more valuable than any other. But in the marriage relationship, the man is called to have specific roles and the woman is called to have specific roles. God has tasked them to do different things in the team that we call marriage so that they can accomplish what God has laid out for them as a married couple. Remember, wives, you are not to submit because you're forced to submit. You're not to submit to the leadership of your husband out of fear. You are not to submit to the leadership of your husband out of obligation. You are to submit to the leadership of your husband because you are in tune with Jesus and because you understand that Jesus has called you to a specific role and he's called your husband. And out of love for your husband, you submit to his leadership in your marriage so that your marriage can flourish. It's not servitude, it's not subservience, but it's when you come alongside your husband respecting his God-given role while your husband respects your God-given role and you work together to accomplish what God has called you to do in your marriage. Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 says this, There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. Here we have again in the Bible, in the book of Galatians, and it's a common theme throughout Scripture that man and woman are both equally children of God when they get saved. They are equally valuable and equally made in the image of God. Paul even speaks into this issue, which can be traced all the way back to Genesis 3, when the woman was cursed in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. This is where the perversion of God's original intent began. And we can trace sin and the curse of sin all the way back to this singular event in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate of the apple that God had told them not to touch. It says that the woman seeks the husband's authority in Genesis 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 16. The husband rules then out of a despotic or authoritarian way. And what that saying is in verse 16 of Genesis 3 is that the woman's desire is for her husband's authority, but yet the man will rule over the woman. See, God did not intend for it to be that way. For one, God did not intend for the woman to desire her husband's authority. Secondly, God did not intend for the man to rule over his wife. God intended it to be a beautiful relationship that reflects Jesus and the church. If you think about how Jesus leads the church, how Jesus leads you as a believer, he leads you gently. 
He leads you in a way that nurtures you. He leads you in a way that is for your benefit. And as husbands, we are to lead our wives in the same way. And wives, in the same way that you're led by Christ, in the same way that you relate to Jesus in prayer and you ask for his will in your life, that is the same way that you should approach your relationship with your husband. Not that you should put your husband on a pedestal, not that you should worship your husband or anything like that. But out of the same love and respect that you have for Christ, you should have that love and respect for your husband in that you're willing to follow his leadership. I promise you that your marriage will never, never be the image of Christ in the church until, ladies, you determine your heart to submit to the leadership of your husband. You know, there's a show, and, and I, the moment I say it, you're all going to know what it is, but it so misportrays really the marriage relationship. It's everybody loves Raymond. And I want you to think about that show for a minute if you've ever seen it. There's a worldly portrayal of what marriage is. You know, Raymond and Deborah are married. They have children. And in the show, no matter what episode it is, I always find myself getting very angry at both Raymond and Deborah. I get mad at Raymond because he's spineless. I get mad at Deborah because she rules the roost, because it's her way or the highway. Even my children have been watching a show, I think it's maybe on Disney or something like that. It's called Henry Danger. It's kind of ironic that my son's name's Henry. But a lot of times, even in that show, the mom and dad in that show, you'll find the mom is always telling the dad what to do. And when she tells him what to do, he just kind of cowers and, yes, ma'am, that, that's what I'll do. And even in joking around with people, you know, whether it's at church or um, in a family event or function or whatever it may be, you know, a lot of times you'll hear men say, you know, I just got to keep the wife happy. You know, I just got to learn how to say yes, ma'am. That's how you make a marriage work is you just say yes, ma'am a lot and all these things. That is not scriptural. That is the world's view of marriage, and it's wrong. That is submitting to the curse found in Genesis 3, where the woman desires the authority of her husband. And that's men not having a backbone and allowing the curse to rule their marriages. And that's why our marriages so many times fail. It's because we're modeling our marriages after Deborah and Raymond, and we're not modeling our marriages after Christ and the church. It's a big problem, and it's a big issue. If you notice in verse 22 of chapter 5, and if you will, go back there and look just quickly... Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. As to the Lord. That is a key phrase there in that verse. Submitting to your husband is a direct reflection of your submission to Christ. And ladies, I dare say that if you are having struggles submitting to your husband, then you are probably also struggling in submitting to the Lord. It is a direct reflection of your spiritual condition. When you're able to conduct yourself in marriage in the way that God has called men and women to conduct themselves, then you are exemplifying what's going on in your heart. And it's that you are able to submit to your husband because you are submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, men, I'm not going to let you off the hook because the second aspect of marriage, the second thing that there has to be in your marriage in order for it to be a mirror image of Christ in the church is love. Love. Love is essential. And in verse 25, we're going to see where Paul begins to deal with men. So turn in your Bibles there to verse 25, Ephesians chapter 5. Now I'm going to read through verse 29. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word 
He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. The interesting thing about the Garden of Eden, as we were just talking about a few minutes ago, is that in that in the garden, Adam's headship over Eve was perfect. His, his authority and his leadership over his wife was so perfect and pure that it was a manifestation. In other words, it was basically a reflection and a revelation of his consuming love for her. See, he led her in such a way that benefited her. He did not rule over her in a way that made her his servant or that made her less than him or that made her feel inferior or that made her feel inadequate. But instead, his headship over Eve was so perfect and so pure and the absence of sin was 100% that it was completely out of pure love. See, today in our society, today in our world, today as human beings, our minds are so corrupted by sin, our hearts are so corrupted by sin, that there is always that corruption that's trying to dive in to everything pure and everything good. And it begins many times in marriage, that men, sometimes because we know that God has called us to be the leaders, tend to take advantage of our wives. We tend to take advantage of that authority. We tend to take advantage of that leadership. And what that shows is that you are not right with God. If you are not going to lead your wife and your family out of pure love and out of a way that it benefits them and enhances their lives, then there is a problem directly between you and God. And until you get your relationship right with God and you, you seek God and you approach the throne of God and you ask God to help you in leading your family and get your heart right in a way that you can love them and that you can lead them for their benefit, then you are not going to have a marriage that reflects the relationship between Christ and the church. Likewise, in the garden, I said that Adam's headship was completely perfect out of a pure love. Eve's submission to Adam was out of pure and unadulterated love. It was in such a way that her submission to Adam revealed her love for him, her all-consuming passion and love for her husband, and the love that he gave her revealed his passion and love for his wife. The Bible speaks really of three different reasons for marriage. And I think it's important for us to understand the purpose of marriage or purposes in this particular instance. The first reason for marriage that we find in the Bible is to procreate mankind. In other words, to populate the earth. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, the Bible teaches us what the same command that God gave Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The second reason for marriage is for companionship. We see in Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 that God himself said it was not good for a man to be alone. He gave Eve to him to be a helper and to be a companion. And then thirdly, we see that the purpose of marriage is for sexual fulfillment and pleasure. We find that in 1 Corinthians 7, the passage that we preached last week, and Hebrews chapter 13. So when we think about these reasons for marriage, we see that they are all centered in this idea of love, that they are all centered around the fact that marriage is not about you. Marriage is about you and your spouse coming together to benefit each other, 
to enhance each other's lives, to reflect the glory of God, that his son is the groom, that the church is the bride. Men, we are to lead our wives as Christ leads the church. Women, we, you are to submit to your husband as you submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I promise you, based upon the authority of God's word, that your marriage will flourish if you can come to a place where husbands you lead out of love and women you submit out of love. See, men and women are, were given the same tasks to complete. So in other words, when God, was, when God created Adam and Eve, he said, I want you to tend the garden. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to cultivate. I want you to innovate. He never said, Adam, I want you to do this job. And then, Eve, I'm going to pull you over here and get you to do a different job. No, he gave them the same jobs, but in completing those same jobs, he gave them different roles. If you think about the act of, of procreating and having children, God gives the husband the, the, the role of providing for the family and making sure that child is, is, is fed and taken care of. The mom is the one responsible for the nourishment of the child, to feed the child, and to, to make sure that the child is loved. So God has called us to this same task, but he's given us different roles in the tasks. And that's why it's so important that we model that mirror image of Christ and the church. John 3.16, this is a verse that you all know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You see the love, you see the way that God loves us. God loves in a way that he's not trying to fulfill himself. God doesn't need fulfillment. God doesn't need us in order for him to be happy or in order for him to be fulfilled. But he loved us so much that he was willing to give of himself to benefit us. Husbands, that's the way we should look at how we lead our wives. We should lead by serving and we should lead in a way that we are willing to sacrifice ourselves for our wives' benefit. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His love is a self-sacrificial love. Husbands, God has called you to a self-sacrificial love for your wife. The other thing about marriage that we see mirrored in Jesus' relationship with the church, that mirror image, is unity. And we find that in verses 31 through 33. So if you will, chapter 5, beginning in verse 31, we read this before. It says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Well, this is basically a reference back to Genesis chapter 2, where the marriage relationship was established by God. Verse 32, this mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. So what is the key to a lasting, healthy marriage? It's unity. And the only way that you're going to achieve unity in your relationship is wives, you submit to your husbands. Husbands, you love your wives. And I'm telling you, there's no other way around it. You can talk to Oprah. You can talk to Dr. Phil. You can even talk to Joel Osteen. And all of these motivational speakers may tell you, you know, just, just believe in your heart and your marriage can work and just, you know, be you and be true to you and, and this thing's going to work out. I'm sorry, that's not good advice. The only thing that is going to bring your marriage to a unified state is wives when you submit to your husbands and husbands when you love your wives. The Bible is very clear about that, and we see that playing out in Scripture, that it is the formula that God created when he designed marriage. And God made it. God knows how it works. And you know what? If we want to fix it, we need to ask the Creator himself. And he tells us in his word, submission and love. 
Now let's look at our marriages in the mirror. We see unity here in what it was meant to be. See, God said that man was to leave his father and mother and join to his wife. They were to become one flesh. They were to be unified in their efforts, in their mission, in, in life. In all that they do, they're to be unified. And they're to be unified in that the wife submits to the husband and the husband loves his wife. We see that with Jesus and the church, where Jesus leads the church with a gentle hand. The church submits to the leadership of Christ, and the two are able to move forward to win souls to Christ and to build the kingdom of God. So do you see the reflection of Christ and the church in the mirror of your own marriage? When you compare men how you treat your wife, do you see it being as Christ treats the church? Women, when you think about submitting to your husbands, do you submit to your husband the same way that you submit to the Lord Jesus Christ? I promise you it'll make a difference in your life, but it's going to take swallowing pride. It's going to take repentance. It's going to talk, take you communicating with your spouse and becoming intimate with your spouse and how you feel and working through those things. But I promise you God's word will not fail you if you'll do as it commands. Today I encourage you to do that. And I promise you I'll be praying for the marriages of our church and our community that God would make a mirror image of our marriages that we would reflect Jesus and the church. I want to thank you so much for worshiping with us today. As we're continuing to renovate our auditorium, we're so excited to get back in there. And in the meantime, of course, as you can see, I'm not in the auditorium, but we're excited at what God is doing at Pole Creek. I want to thank you as well for your faithfulness to our church, whether you're worshiping at home or whether you're worshiping here on campus. We know that your faithfulness to pray for us, your faithfulness to serve, and your faithfulness to give financially is why Pole Creek is able to continue ministry even in the midst of these difficult economic times. If you want to give remotely, you can go to our website, go to our menu. You can click on the Give tab where you can give securely online. And I ask for your prayers. I ask that you pray for your staff, your pastors, that we will continue to move forward with the will of God, that we will continue to pursue the vision to win Candler, to win our community, and to win the world to the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe today you got saved. Maybe through the preaching of the word and your understanding that Jesus died and rose again, that he died for your sins. Maybe you trusted Christ. Or maybe you want to know what it means to be saved and you've never been saved before. We want you to reach out to us and we're going to give you a simple way to do that. All you have to do is text the word SAVED to the phone number 828-373-1940. It's there on the screen. So please text the word SAVED if you want any more information about becoming a Christian. Maybe you want to connect to our church. Maybe you want to become a member maybe you want to be connected to a small group, we encourage you to use that same phone number still on the screen, 373-1940. And we ask you to text the word CONNECT. And we'll be sure to reach out to you and get you connected to our church. Let me pray for you. I'm going to pray that your marriage is everything God wants it to be. And I'm going to pray that God heals your wounds and gives you joy and peace. Let's pray. God, we are so, so thankful for Ephesians 5. I'm thankful, Lord, that you made marriage to be a beautiful relationship between a man and a woman, that it would reflect your relationship with your bride, the church. Today, God, I pray for the husbands that they would lead, they would love their wives as you love the church. God, I pray for the wives that they would submit to their husbands as they submit to you. And God, I pray that by us doing that and fulfilling our God-given roles, that we would be unified in our marriages and that, God, you would use us to reflect your glory to a lost and a dying world. Lord, we pray for our marriages and our church that you would build a hedge of protection around their hearts and their minds, that you would keep them together, that they would be healthy, that they wouldn't just make it, but that they, God, would thrive. 
And God, we entrust these things into your hands, for we know there is no safer place for them to be. In Jesus' name, amen.